The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at romanschapter5 at comcast.net. Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 21, On Ethics, Part 4. We ended last week with a discussion of Kant's division of rational demands, otherwise known as imperatives, on human conduct into two different types. One, hypothetical imperatives, in which reason has an end or goal in view and chooses to act to realize that goal. And two, categorical imperatives, which are simply demands to act according to moral law, to do the right thing. Hypothetical imperatives are hypothetical because they take the form of hypothetical, if-then, statements. If you want X result, then you should do Y action. Reason, that is, follows, or asserts, a logical, causal chain from action to result. And if you want X, then you should choose Y. We value the result, X. And this value is the reason or motivation with which we justify our choice of action, Y. If I value X, or because I value X, I choose to do Y, which I calculate as the best way to achieve X. In the categorical imperative, by contrast, we ought to do something. Here, what is valued is the action itself, not the result to be obtained. The ought is value. The value, that is, in a categorical imperative, does not come from achieving a result, but from the action itself. This notion of value is radically different from that of the hypothetical imperative. Indeed, different from any merely practical value. As so many philosophers point out, we cannot derive an ought from an is. Rational human beings inhabit the world of existent things, and it is easy to understand how hypothetical imperatives are useful in living and functioning in the world, and even perhaps why we might confuse hypothetical imperatives as categorical. Reason sets actions before us in order to achieve results, values. To fix a problem in your car, replace this part. To build your house, follow these instructions. To become President of the United States, engage in these actions. The value of the actions in all these cases is as means to the value of the end, the result, or consequence. The ought, however, is unique. In an ought, it is the action itself that is valued. This is what it means to do the right thing. In a hypothetical imperative, the right action is the one that achieves the value result we choose to realize. Right here means the action that is most likely to help you achieve the valued result. It is right only insofar as it is effective in achieving that result. It is right in only a relative way. In a categorical imperative, the value we encounter is a different sort, a moral value. Moral value, the ought, is the human experience of ethics. We ought to do the right thing. 
There is an inherent circularity here that is characteristic of axioms in a logical system. Right, as in contrast to wrong, that is the very existence of the category of ethics, is endemic to human experience. But it is not reducible to practical or hypothetical imperatives. I am not to do the right thing for any other reason than it is the right thing to do. Without this tautology, there is no ethics, but only a practical system of actions and outcomes, hypothetical imperatives. Right and wrong, then, mean something different, though admittedly related, as both are values, from the evaluative good and bad of practical action, practical reason. In even a consequentialist system of ethics, which justifies all action by its results, we are still left with the question, why should I do that which brings the best results? From what is, we cannot discover the ought. Ethical consequentialism is the doctrine that tells us that moral right and wrong is determined by the consequences of our actions, the consequences those actions produce. If the action produces good consequences, it is a moral action. And if bad consequences, it is an immoral action. In terms of ethics, I argue this puts the cart before the horse. As we want our ethical system to provide us some sense of how we should act, which action is right, in advance of our choice of that action. But if it is the consequences that dictate the ethical value of the act, we can never know in advance of acting whether or not we are doing the right thing, even theoretically. As the universe of consequences of any action is nearly incalculable at even the nearest proximity, we can never really understand how to properly calculate them. Even these together, though, are not the fatal flaw of consequentialism. All ethics falls back on this concrete reality of human existence. We each feel the force of the ought, find it in our very essence. Yet it is not a part of the system of practical reasoning, which only dictates action if we want a particular result. Even if we assume a crystal clear rank ordering of value, simple rational calculation cannot dictate we choose any specific result. When my neighbor's house is burning down while he is on vacation, without the ought, what compels me to call the fire department? Why ought I to choose the right action? Because it is right. This, though, is nothing more than the ought itself. Without the ought, values, whether high or low on the continuum of value, do not compel us outside of an evaluative calculation of ends. While we may calculate values in deciding what is right in an ethical decision, it is the rightness that compels us, not the calculation. If I despise my neighbor, his house burning down is a value I may embrace. You argue, that's wrong. You shouldn't value that. But that argument assumes the ought, not the calculation of ends, not consequentialism. It assumes that I ought not to choose that end, no matter how highly I value it. The ought is a moral value, and it stands as a pillar we encounter in our rational nature. We do not construct it. We trip over it, 
confound ourselves upon it. Sometimes we ignore it, rail against it, but it doesn't cease thereby to exist. In the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain, we hold certain truths self-evident. The ought of ethics is of this sort, self-evident. There is no appeal to this demand of reason, no reason to follow the dictates of the ought. The ought is, simply, human reason itself. We sense this in our very being. It is the structure upon which we all rely when we evaluate our own actions and those of others. Our practical engagement in the world assumes there is a right, and that we ought to conform ourselves to it. This is what Dr. Martin Luther King meant in declaring, quote, The first principle of value that we need to rediscover is this, that all reality hinges on moral foundations. In other words, that this is a moral universe, and that there are moral laws of the universe just as abiding as the physical laws. In my many discussions of the nature of ethics with my nephew, Josiah, our constant contention focuses on this point. He wants to maintain that ethical values are a matter of choice, not necessity. He is, of course, partially correct on this. We construct our ethical hierarchies by rationally evaluating a number of factors, including what sorts of consequences our actions may produce. An evaluation of consequences, however, does not, indeed cannot, by itself have the weight of the ought. Even if rationality convinces us that one set of consequences is better than another, better can only mean here a concrete and empirico-practical evaluation, as we cannot derive an ought from an is. There is no ethical force behind this evaluation without the primacy of the ought. Consequentialism, then, can only function as an ethical system by piggybacking on an already existent ought. Nor can the consequentialist retreat into the claim that sentient life ranks higher on the value continuum than other values, as the value continuum is itself a function of the ought in this sense. We value a human being more highly than a plant or an animal because we ought to do so. This we know, even if we choose to deny it. Action is, as I have repeatedly said, the clearest sign of belief. Most dog lovers will save a human child that they do not know over their own beloved pet, and they will be praised when they do so, and censured when they do not. Perhaps in some circumstances we can rely on a consequentialist calculation to tell us what the right action is, but without the ought, it cannot tell us that we should choose that action. Consequentialism without the ought is not ethics at all. The ought, though itself rational, foundational to human rationality, is not subject to rational calculation. The ought is a rational demand. It is not constructed by reason, but results from its very essence. Human rationality is ethical, pervaded by ethics, as it is temporal, imaginative, reflective, critical, and tendentious. This is not, of course, to say that we cannot conceive of a rationality that is not ethical. We can. Just as we can imagine solutions to problems that are not realizable, 
such as the example last episode of going back in time to put a coke in my pocket before I left for my walk, with which to assuage my thirst at the muddy puddle. Human rationality, as a concrete reality, however, almost always has the ought, even if we might find individuals who lack it. The exception proves the rule. We might attempt to salvage a sense of ethical imperative for consequentialism by claiming the force of the hypothetical imperative. The ends justify the means. If we do this, my nephew's point that we choose right and wrong is justified, since in choosing the end, we also value the act. But we lose ethics in the process. There is no ethical compulsion whatsoever in an act of practical, rational calculation. No ought but only the suggestion that if you want these results, then you should do this action. I am not arguing that this stance is irrational, but only that it violates our ontological sense of ethics. It is a stance that explains away the force of the ethical demand to do the right thing. It is a metaphysical stance that one can believe, but we should be cognizant that in doing so, we give up ethics. We rewrite it as something other than what nearly all humanity lives. Absent the pre-existent ought, there is no ethical force either to choose the good result or to engage in or refrain from any action. Although I feel as though I've stated this same thing over and over again in the course of this edition of The Christian Atheist, allow me one more time to clearly indicate the nature of ethical obligation as a tautology, something that we discover and do not create. Human ethics is founded upon, rests upon, a demand to do what is right because it is the right thing to do. The ethical quandary, then, becomes how to determine what is right. This is a truly difficult question. And my suspicion is that both of the great systems of ethical thought are important. Deontology, the study of obligation, the ought, and consequentialism. But that the latter, consequentialism, must be subordinate to the former, deontology. As I close this edition of The Christian Atheist, though, I want to turn my thoughts to one last consideration. From where does the ought come? Rationality, we have stated, stands in a very real sense outside nature. It is the admixture of human rationality to the natural world that gives rise to the terms artificial and unnatural. Human rationality violates the cause-effect chain of the natural. Add to this sense of standing outside the natural world the existence of the ought, which points outside rationality to an abstract moral ideal not contained in nature, the right. And we have a fairly compelling case that human nature points outside itself and the natural world to something beyond. All this we find at the level of lived life, the level of ontology. Admittedly, we can explain this experience in a variety of ways at the level of metaphysics. And we can also explain them away at this level. Rationality allows us both options. It seems to me, after a lifetime of consideration and a commitment to both sides of the debate, that the very existence of the ought, 
is one of the most profound claims we can find to the existence of an extra-natural, a supernatural reality. While I have never been a fan of the argument, often appearing in debates between Christians and atheists, that the existence of God is necessary to found ethics, I do find the existence of ethics to be one of the most profound indicators of the existence of God. When we find, in the heart of immanence, in nature itself, an example of a being that, in a radical sense, stands outside nature, and whose very essence makes a demand to choose, to act, according to a transcendent standard, the rational conclusion seems to me that immanence is not all that is. The Judeo-Christian doctrine that human beings are created in the image and likeness of God is both useful and perhaps even necessary for the maintenance of proper relations between people, and it finds its parallel in nearly every society on earth. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason. Respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.